Hello and welcome to the This Old Ham Shack podcast. I am Evan. And I am Dominic. And uh, kind of the point of this podcast is, um, well, we're going to have some opinionated uh, things to discuss, of course, as we're opinionated individuals. But we're going to cover um, a lot of different things. We're going to do some how-tos, some, uh, some product recommendations based on our personal experiences. Um, so yeah, we have some like uh, special guests, hopefully. Um New ham radio tech philosophy on ham radio, kind of all stretched out between different episodes. Just kind of a whole general idea of what we're going to be talking about. Um, want to get started on what we're going to be talking about today? Yeah, sure. So I guess some um, kind of the th- overarching theme of this episode is the state of ham radio. Yeah, kind of like a where we're at right now. Um, I don't know, like where'd you say we're at right now with everything? Like, are we gonna in a good place in a bad place? Um, I think there's a lot of positives, you know, going on right now. You, I think we're seeing a little bit of a, uh, a resurgence in interest. I mean, especially, you know, being that this is 2018 and it's easy for things, you know, lower tech, like ham radio to get eclipsed by things like cell phones and the internet. Right. And like, I remember too, like even just me, like being amazed of how far and like I mean, cell phones can easily do things, but being able to send a text message from a radio, for example, that doesn't have any satellite capability or any GSM network or anything like that, it's really amazing. Right. right. Yeah. So, I mean, to me, the what's cool about ham radios is how much you can do with low technology. Right. Oh, right. Like, it's like kind of the whole innovative, like what can you do with what little you have? Yeah. Like to me, there's there's nothing magical. There's nothing magical about um, being able to pick up a $1,000 computer that goes in your pocket with billions of dollars of infrastructure and decades of research behind it, and then I can text somebody that's, say, on a different continent. That There's there's nothing magical about that. That's very predictable and, right. and to be expected. It's just too, for lack of a better term, it's too easy, and it's not, I can't put into words, it's... Well, there's no art to it. It's lackluster. It's yeah. common sense. Yeah. Exactly. Like I said, when you, you get decades of research and billions of dollars in infrastructure, yeah, okay, yeah, you should definitely be able to send a, a message to someone overseas or, or talk to them. You know? Right. Um, to me, what's what's cool about radio is that you know you can do a lot of the same stuff that you do through the internet, through a cell phone, um, but instead of relying on billions of dollars infrastructure, it's you know one man, one radio, and a small antenna. Right. You know, that could have been an even um, almost better name for the podcast is One Man, One Radio. <laughs> Except there's two men and we have at least like six or seven radios. Apiece. Yeah. <laughs> um, but anyway, I guess the uh, with the growth of the hobby, I think it's kind of comes from growing pains. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, uh, I'd say that. Um, I mean, like, what would you say some of the I mean? I mean, I'm kind of holding to the hobby. You've been licensed, what, over 10 years now? Yeah, almost about 11, yeah. 12 years, I think. So, I mean, like, what have you kind of seen with all that? Um, well, I guess some of the growing pains that have come with it is, um, well, like, youth youth in the hobby, which I started out at age 14, you know. Um, and I'm, I'm getting at the age now, 27, where it's kind of like you can kind of see both sides of it. Like, I've right. been into ham radio for a long time, so I'm starting to see a little bit of the side of the the, the fuds so to right speak, you know and like even me i've um i got licensed when i was 17 just about a year ago now at this point and uh 
I mean, even just being licensed for the first year, you see the people who don't want to be like who want to hate on the newer generation just because it's easier or something like that. Right. And, you know, I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as some of them. You know, I'm, I get a little bit annoyed, too, when you hear someone pick up a radio for maybe they maybe they're not even a new er ham. They're just an, an ignorant ham. Right. And ignorance isn't something to be ashamed of. I mean, you don't know what you don't know. But, you know, if you've been in the hobby for three, four years and you're still ignorant. You know, right. Then but that's something to unwilling be ashamed to change. Of. Yeah, and exactly. That's basically what a FUD is, is the unwillingness to change and the not wanting to see why people are into it. Yeah. I know um, Hashinashi goes way into that and the difference between a FUD with 1D and a FUD with 2Ds and neither are the best thing to be, but right. it's worse to be one than the other and right. I can't for the life of me remember he, which one is which. He kind of has a whole philosophy on, on that that he's kind of hashed out, which is cool. But um, right. um, but anyway, um, yeah. We obviously need younger people to, to latch on to this hobby because, I mean... Say, without it, it's going to die. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Unfortunately. It, it, it will. It will have to. Um, I mean, I, I don't know what the age of the average ham radio operator is, but, I mean, I would I would wager it's in the mid-40s to mid -40s to, you know, 60. Right. You know? <laughs> so I know that's where a vast majority of them are, but thankfully some of the younger generation is coming into it, like, I mean, 18 to 27 and all that other age group. Yeah, absolutely. Um so, I'm, but with that, you, you end up, I think I talked to you a little bit about this. I, um, DMR is one of the things that I enjoy doing with ham radio, right. okay, digital mobile radio. And I'm sure we'll spend more time on DMR, so I won't belabor the point now. But um, this is a good time to bring this up because mm -hmm. it kind of contrasts both sides of the spectrum, the FUDs and the noobs. Yeah, uh, <laughs> especially, I mean, and DMR really brings into the light of where the origin of the name ham radio came from is it's ham fisted in and it's used to be a derogatory term in case you didn't know that right um for radio operators who just wanted to butt in to the airwaves and just kind of do what they want and that's kind of the way dmr for the amateur world has come into play they took a yeah. commercial protocol and shoved their way into the amateur world yeah and you know that's not to say that it's not it has a lot of merit to it it's a great mode oh yeah um it's very accessible um you can get a lot of people in it for very cheap but that that low cost of entry brings a certain crowd of ignorant people into a very powerful mode which is that is you can turn to a talk group press the ptt and a thousand people are hearing you right whereas with hf you know there's so many bands to choose from depending on propagation whatever you may key the mic you may make a mistake but maybe only one or two people are inconvenienced by it right whereas if you jump on a busy dmr talk group like tac 310 and you're just being a total lid which is an uh yep which is still a very derogatory term in ham radio that's for a very poor operator yep um being a total lid on tac 310 you know there could be hundreds or a thousand people you know being inconvenienced by that right um, and and with that too, a lot of people on DMR depends on which network you're on, and we can kind of get into that too. It's like on the Brandmeister network, which is one of the internet services that links some of the repeaters. People are a lot more um, accepting of mistakes and that kind of stuff, just by their nature. Then you have um, DMR Mark, which is the Motorola Amateur Radio Club, and you get all of the Motorola hams and the elitists that are just like Motorola is the only way to do DMR because they invented it or whatever. Right. Which 
you know, it's an open standard. It's not like it's not like um, like System know, Fusion or right. even, even still, that's kind of open with C four FM and to the way point. they do FDMA. But it's not like D Star. That's GMSK and closed it's and totally locked down to where no one, you know, you got to get licensed practically from ICOM right. to even utilize that, right? Right. Which Kenwood went about that process with their one radio. But. Yeah, thankfully, because I cannot stand the ID fifty one. That <laughs> yeah, that's going to be another episode. Is uh, do's and don'ts of rate of buying radios and our yeah. opinions on what's a good one and what are bad ones absolutely we have we have lots of thoughts on the matter right <laughs> um so uh we, we kind of touched on this for a second but um you know what do you see with i see the you the younger folks really gravitating towards the digital modes a lot right um i think it's kind of just because for convenience it's a little bit of I mean, between the old tech and being able to do stuff really easily, it's a happy medium between the two. It's not like just using a cell phone to send a text message. Or yeah. I think another part of it is, I'm not trying to stereotype, but a lot of the younger generation is more introverted just by that nature. And that's just kind of how it is. Yeah. Um, I mean, I know I'm kind of more of an introvert. And I mean, I've still got a single sideband on HF and... I'll do voice contacts, but digital is definitely a lot easier to do, and it doesn't take as much willpower to get over mic fright, which sure. which I know I used to have, and my grandpa, who's in his 60s and 70s, still has mic fright. Sure. No, I mean, that's something that takes time, really. I mean, it's I don't know what it is. I mean, you can have a conversation one-on-one with someone in a room, and it's not a big deal, but for some reason, you put a microphone in someone's hand, it really changes the dynamic, and I remember being there myself obviously it was quite a while ago but i remember being there right um so you know that you're right i think that kind of um causes that i I think here the the other thing is too um that i don't know if this gets discussed as much but i have a theory okay My, my theory is a part of the reason you have younger people gravitating towards hf modes i mean let's let's look at who younger hams are i mean most of these people are not like Hotshot people established in their careers, making you know buku bucks. Right. They they're, they don't have the money to put up, you know, uh, a giant station with a you like know, a beam or something tower with a yagi on top and a kilowatt linear, you know, at the bottom of it. As much as we would love to do that. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I win the lottery tomorrow, I, would I live super extravagantly? No. Would I buy a Maserati? No. I'd pay off my debt and I'd have a nice ham station. Yep. That would happen. Uh, <laughs> so, Priorities. Yeah. Exactly. Um, but I think you have, especially with us being at the bottom of the solar cycle right now, oof. the, yeah, <laughs> rip big oof. Yeah. Um, with us being at the bottom of the solar cycle right now, if you are a, you know, the, the, this is not to invoke the name of another podcast and it's a good podcast, but if you are the 100 Watts in a wire type of person, you are just a guy with a radio and a homemade antenna. Yep. Your dollar doesn't go as far as it did back in the eighties and nineties oh, no. at the solar peak. It just doesn't. And especially today too, like with, if you want to go buy old ham equipment for whatever reason, ham equipment does not depreciate ever. No. Like unless you know a local Elmer or a, it's a boat anchor, like tube amp, something like that, or well, 
depending on the boat anchor, you know, it's like, like they, go, they, kit, go, yeah. they go, the way ham radios go in general, they'll make the same model for 10 or 12 years. And it's like, then you might maybe have a three year window before it becomes quote a classic. Right. And then it, it's still worth way more than what you'd think. Yeah. Um, Waiting for that with my uh, ICOM 718 to <laughs> roll around, resell it, get a new uh, ham station going. Yeah, there you go. But, but anyway, the, my, the, my point in bringing that, the digital mode, you know, the people flocking to that, you know, you have your, the old guard, the people that have been in ham radio for years, they're retired, they've got expendable income, you know, they're putting up, you know, giant antennas and towers because that's their outlet, that's their hobby. Right, and I mean, the, they got money to burn. Because we got the guy in that club that has, what, three flex radios and a KX3 or something? Yeah, and, and, and I don't envy him at all. He's in a place in his life where he's established and that's he's got expendable income for that sort of thing. And that's great. But And that being said, he was in the Air Force and was a uh, medical uh, diagnosis. Um, I can't remember exactly what he did, but enough money to live very comfortably afterwards. Sure. So, sure. So, I mean, that, that makes a difference. Um, but anyway, you, you can kind of stretch your dollar a lot further with these digital modes. I mean, I my station is nothing special. I feel like I have a nice HF radio. I have a 991. It's a nice right. radio, but I don't have much of an antenna up. I have a G5RV at like 18 feet, which is not an ideal setup, whatever. I mean, every, every HF antenna is a compromise at some point. Yeah, m- mine Oops. happens to have more compromises in it than most. I mean, and sometimes the compromise <laughs> is uh, how much uh, weight you take out of your wallet. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, so I can sit on, I can sit on FT8 or PSK31, and, you know, I can routinely get into Europe. I mean, I can turn on 30 meters almost every night and hear Europe. Right. And I that's, can't do that on, on single sideband. That does, just doesn't happen right, right now. And especially because 30 meters is always hopping and is always up in the band conditions. 30 is a great band. And, and for those of you who might be newer to the hobby and not super familiar, you know, with how the bands are set up and what you do with them, 30 meters is an all-digital band. So that includes CW. Um, Morse code, but it's it is all. Digital. That's always that's always been weird to me is that you can do CW, but it's not digital and a digital only. I say it depends on who you ask. Some people well, claim it's because it, it's one and zero, but well, at, at the, yeah, I mean at I mean, the heart of it, people say that CW is a form of digital mode, and I guess if, at the strictest definition, it's probably the earliest predecessor to a digital mode right. possible. Because and um, see, my argument with that is like with CW. My thing with the digital is it's not base two, and I mean that's not the sole definition. But you have a dit and you have a da, but you also have dead space two, which would also count as or classify as an input technically. But the way you can look at that is a dit is a one, and, and then a, a, a dash is one one zero. Right. So that's I mean, another I see, way of looking at it too. And I do see both sides of it. It's just I can't hop on the whole train of it. It like. Yeah classifying it solely you, you as a mode. You know what it really boils down to, though? It's not so much the word definition. It boils down to bandwidth. Right. CW and FT8, and these just use microscopic amounts of bandwidth. Yeah. Where if you talk about an, an SSB signal, you know... Yeah, that's that, 3 kilohertz of bandwidth, and right. CW is, what, 200 hertz? Exactly. It's exactly. ridiculous. You can, you can fit so much more activity into the band that you're, you're given. Um, and then you have the AM guys that hang out on 80 meters yep. and take up the whole band with one conversation, practically. No, you got to specify it's 75 meters. So, sorry, 75 meters, because that's the voice, that's the exclusively voice section where the AMers hang out. Yep. Yeah. You want to talk about some people who drop some money? Well, unless they have like really old gear, you know, yep. maybe they've had it for decades. 
But you and know, still if, if use you boat anchors. On, yeah, if you want to put an effective signal on an AM, man, you you got to have an amplifier. Oh yeah. I mean, I can remember at the introduction of me to ham radio that my parents had an old shortwave. Um, and of course it was AM shortwave only, yep. right? It was designed to listen to shortwave broadcast. And, but I could, t- it covered continuously a pretty big section of shortwave and I could tune all the way down to the bottom of this thing and I could hear the AM guys talking on it. Wow. Um, and I thought that was pretty cool. And it was just, I mean, it was a not anything special um and i had like 30 foot of wire strung across my bedroom yeah but they were the only ones i could hear now i could tune a little further in the band and hear the sideband guys but you know it just it sounded like adults from charlie brown yep you know that kind of thing but um definitely doesn't give me a lot of hope for my uh, six meter rig that i picked up it's i think it's 15 (laughs) watts am only yeah and i think it still it has the option of a vfo or crystal oh crystals so basically (laughs) hook an arduino up to it and hope for the best yeah exactly um i guess another thing that you know that's really a a contentious point right now in the state of ham radio what do you the chinese radios oh yeah if you want to talk about stretching if you want to talk about stretching your dollar yeah um (laughs) they say they're hit and miss for sure um i mean there are some i don't want to say reputable but brands that have been classified as better than others like throwing it out there elephant in the room the baofeng uv5r like the staple of chinese radio and for the most part people don't have any issue with it they know exactly what they're getting for the 30 dollars sure um and then you have like other brands like the woshan or uh oshang uh, wuxun yeah oshang yeah um, the, the pronunciation uh, they've, there's a bunch of different options and there's another one like you have all the dmr ones like alluance or radiotity yeah, yeah. Alan Serluins. Yeah, that's yeah. another one. Um, so, but but anyway, with that, uh, it, it's kind of a mixed bag. You know, there's some really butt kicking ones out there that are great um, for the money, and then there's right. others that are like total duds. I mean, like for example, like you can go with the GD77. It's a solid radio, and I know you've had issues with this one, but the MD380. I've had a few issues with mine, but for $80, yeah. it's built like a brick. It is, and it, it feels very sturdy. The controls work well. Um, I guess my the, the bad taste in my mouth about the MD380 isn't just my experience. You know, the fact my experience with it was, you know, one day I turn it on and the entire keypad just dies. It won't, won't right. respond. So, And I just thought it was funny that my first thought was when I tore it apart, hey, you know, this thing has two separate boards. I can just swap this display board out. So I'll find someone with a broken MD380 in some way where the display still works. And sure enough, it took me one text message to a friend of mine who's also in the DMR. I was like, hey, bud, you got any broken MD380s? And he's like, yeah, I have one that won't transmit. And then he had another one that was broken in some other way. Yeah. And I was, but it was like, to me, it was like moderately salvageable. I want to say like, if he plugged a speaker mic into it, it would work. Right. It's so probably like Mike Gaynor. Mike, yeah, that's what like it that. was. So I told him, I was like, well, give me the one with the blown transmitter because that's about the most hopeless one possible. Right. So I took that one and then I swapped the board into mine and it kind of works. I have to hold the display into a mirror to read it properly. But it works. It does. It does. Um so it's i mean quality control is basically the major issue i mean you have some radios that have weird quirks too like my rd5r i've been through two of them and it's a common issue on all of them to have weird squelch tails or just stuff across the all radios that you have firmware bugs that is specific to that radio and it's 
you can safe to say that this radio is the issue and not this specific one that I got. Like this whole model is the issue, not yeah. Just based on the feedback I've heard from other people, it would seem that that entire radio design is flawed. Right. Um, you know, because like they tried to take the GD seventy seven and shove it in the RD five R body, but I feel like they made some sacrifices with yeah, chipset. Everyone, and... everyone seems to throw out that the GD seventy seven and the RD five are basically the same radio, and for all I know, they are. I mean, I haven't been able to find a schematic, but I don't know anyone with a GD seventy seven that has problems. Now, I right. have one, and I haven't had it long, but it just works a million times better. You know, yeah. an RD5R at its best still doesn't work as good as what my GD77 does. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and of course you get the whole people like, well, it's not tier 2 compliant because it's a Baofeng. Well, it's, it's, it's literally just in a Baofeng body, and that's yeah, the no, only they, thing. They fixed that, and there's some people that, I remember a year ago, they said, whatever, you don't buy a Baofeng DMR because right. tier two, tier 1, tier 2, you know, thing. And I think a lot of hams got burned because, you know, we all have been in this cheap Chinese radio mindset for a while now. And they're like, oh, shoot, man, Baofeng's got a uh, DMR radio. And many people jumped on it and got burned when they realized, you know, ham operates tier two and the right. radio couldn't couldn't hang. Or the majority of repeaters are tier two. I mean, you can use tier one radio to radio or for a hotspot, but right. unless you're going, it, trans- it was like one of them would transmit it on both time slots at once. And then the other one only did it half of the time. It's. It was yeah. a problem radio. So, and this is the kind of argument that I think they had a few years ago when they said, well, we'll, we'll take out the code requirement. And a lot of hams got, got real pissy about that. Oh, my gosh. Um, but they, now we've taken out the code requirement, and now we've, we've reduced the cost of entry. And, and I don't think ham radio should be – there's some hams that say, well, we should have kept things cost prohibitive. It keeps the it keeps the yahoos out. And I, I don't mean, think that's the case, man. There are some – there are some good operators, and people have things to contribute to the hobby. They don't have a huge budget to play with. I mean, I mean, if you want to go back to the youth and the hobby, too, I mean, a lot of the youth and the hobby are going into college at 18 just because they, yeah, not stereotyping and, like, profiling, but, like, most of the people that want to understand the electronics theory, like Ohm's Law and that stuff that you can get your technician are going to be your college-level stuff. Sure. I mean, you, have, of course, have the kids that are, like, you know, 8, 9 that know all that stuff. I'm, I was one of those, but... um. Like it's at that ham, point. Ham radio is a nerd hobby. I mean, right. it's it's a social nerd hobby though. Yeah, I, I would say ham radio is almost a little bit like gaming. Like gamers get a, re- a reputation for being reclusive, right? Right. But I know some really social gamers. Yeah. Some of them are more comfortable socializing through the game with people they play online with. But, right. But there's most part gamers are pretty social, but they're also very nerdy. They're very you know smart. They know. They can build a computer from a box of junk parts. Yep. They can, you know, resurrect their Xbox from the Red Ring of Death. And, and to me, ham radio operators kind of fall into the same category. It's it's a nerd hobby, but it's a sociable one. Right. And, like, with the whole thing of being able to build a box of stuff, a lot of people, like, from the ham radio community is owned to the whole DIY. A lot of them are into the whole DIY and are really resourceful of what you can do. I mean, sure. people make antennas out of literally ran, random lengths of wire. If you're new to the hobby and you hook it up and you hook it up to a tuner that tunes the antenna and you have an antenna to transmit on and receive. And right. that's basically it. Exactly. Um, but I don't know. It, I've seen the downside of that too because I, I heard I kind of got sidetracked on this, but the that TAC three ten conversation I heard was this younger younger ham. He was probably, I mean, I had to guess he was probably ten or eleven, maybe yeah. twelve, and um, he 
and to be honest with you, he seemed a little bit, I guess, self-important. Like he he felt like he had a little overinflated sense of what he knew what was going on. Yeah, and it's like, bro, you kind of just got your license. Like maybe you you've got some things you could learn. Right. Um. And, and it's, it's but it, in his defense, though, a couple of the you know more tenured people jumped on his butt for using the wrong phonetic. Um, I think it was, and it was something simple. It was like he said kilowatt instead of kilo. And, and like, and I hear more older hams substitute dude, the kilowatt right. for kilo than anyone else. And like, me personally, like, it, I don't want to say it bugs me enough, but like, it's slightly irritating just because like, like kilowatt or radio or that kind of stuff isn't that big of a deal. But when you start using some of the other ones that aren't common, like, um, like Mary for M or something, yep. it, that kind of stuff. Sure. Like it just really throws you off. I've, I've heard some ridiculous ones, and and I actually I just had a great idea for when we get the website up. Um, we need to make our own. We'll call it the worst phonetic alphabet ever. Oh, that's gonna be good. Um, and this this started uh, a coworker of mine who knows I'm into ham radio and he knows a little bit about it. Right. He served in the military. He was in the Navy. Oh. So he also knows the ITU yeah. phonetic alphabet. So he and I one day were slow as crap at work and we just sat down and tried to think of the worst words to use phonetically. So, I mean, we came up with like G for, or gnome for the word G <laughs> or letter G. And we came up with, um, P with, as in pterodactyl. P as in pterodactyl. Um, X is in xylophone. Oh my gosh. Um, and, and we came up with a bunch of them. We, you and I should sit down and hash the rest of this out. After, I, yeah. I come up with some pretty hilarious ones, but the English language is a funny thing. So yep. we, there was no shortage of ridiculous words you could use. But, um, I like kind of going back, like when you're, when you know the uh, native phonetic alphabet and you know, like A is alpha, B is Bravo, C is Charlie, and you just memorize it all. When people go like, um, R for radio or, um, W for Watt, like you don't, immediately click and it slows you down to figure out what the thing is so if you like their call sign um is like um like we'll use our club sign like is w8ft instead of whiskey eight foxtrot tango like what i see i even get tripped up what eight echo tank yeah it, 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 it trips you hand. up it, it trips you up hand. um one of the one of the worst ones in my opinion that i hear frequently is people substituting country names oh my gosh the, the worst one that you will hear is uh, i hear germany a lot germany um yeah or j is japan yeah so you might have a guy get on and say like this is this is netherlands five oh. germany japan radio Jeez. And, and I don't know this person. I just kind of came up with that call sign based on a you know mixture of things I've heard. Yeah. But um, but you hear something like that, and you're just sitting there like, what the hell did he just say? Right. <laughs> and like when you're trying to write it down or put it in the logbook, you have to really think and like, let's see, that was a N a like you just it's slow, especially when you're doing like fast paced contacts. Like if you're doing HF, it's basically or even satellites. Yeah, it's worse on satellites because you do your call grid square seventy three. That's it. Um, you don't really talk on it because you only have ten minutes at most to make a contact. 
right. that's for everyone in the coverage area. So you have to be quick. And the other the other issue I've had too is when people sub out those country names like that. So you're you're trying to concentrate. Like, okay, I got a name, I got a grid square, I got a country that right. I'm talking to, and then you have some guy who's in freaking Missouri and he's saying Japan, Germany a hundred times. You're like, right. Which is it, bro? Are you in Japan or freaking Germany? Especially on HF2. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Because you could literally hear Japan, Germany, and Missouri all on the same frequency at the yep. same time. So, so, like, especially if, like, people, if it's way down to the noise and you can't tell if they have an accent or anything, because not trying to be like uh, stereotyping other people, but like, people from other countries generally have some sort of an accent and. You can't tell, like, if they're way down the noise, if they have that and they say Japan, you try to listen for the accent, or Germany, you try to listen for the accent, you don't hear anything, and you're like, where are you? Yeah, exactly. So, um, the other thing, too, that was a bit of a detour, but it was a good detour. It was. Um, the other thing, too, that I noted, I think, was was oversimplification and ignorance. And we touched on ignorance a bit, but what do we mean by oversimplification? Um, kind of with... Uh kind of the new what's kind of coming out with the newer generation that's not the greatest of things is i get it's easier to do stuff with your cell phone but the closer we get to that the less magic there is in ham radio right like um aprs droid from your phone like it's a great app and it's good to use but the internet function that lets you transmit beacons right from your phone i'm not a huge fan of because that's not really I guess technically it's APRS, but yeah. it takes the fun out of sending messages over APRS or oh, yeah. the positioning part of it because yeah, you're I mean, using your cell phone. Whoop de doo. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, it goes back to what we said earlier. Like, there's no surprise that right. billions of dollars of infrastructure does what it was designed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, there, that's. That's why radio is kind of an art form. You screw something up somewhere, you're not going to talk to anyone. Yep, your stuff won't work. Um, but you know, anyone with enough money can go get a cell phone and a plan and they can talk to whoever the hell they want. It's in a lack of a better term. It's pay to win. Yeah. I mean, not quite as a winning, but it's the more you pay, the easier it is. And Mm -hmm. not necessarily saying that in life that that's a bad thing to do, but when you're talking about how special it is or radio, the, I guess the magical feeling there is with it, it, it's not fun. It's like cheating in a video game. Yeah. Like you don't. It's not fun. When I get people that say I try and explain what ham radio is, and um, the, the two things I usually hit on when I you know mention it, um, it, it depends on how much time I have. My my elevator pitch usually goes something like, actually, that should be a good one too. We should discuss what's your elevator pitch for ham radio. I'll, I'll give you mine first. Okay. My elevator pitch for ham radio, and it usually starts with this: What the hell does your uh, license plate on your Jeep mean? <laughs> Yep, <laughs> that's usually the one I get because I, I have my call letters on my on my car, um, and that's the one I usually get. And and people try and pronounce my call sign as if it were a word, what or could a van- yeah, or like a vanity call of some yeah. sort. And that that gets kind of hilarious. I've heard some funny ones, um, but um, I, usually I'll just say it, it's it's ham radio. Um, it's the call sign. Yep. That, that the FCC issues me. That's how I identify myself on the radio when I communicate with other people. And they just say, "Well, what do you? What do you? What's ham radio all about? What do you do with it?" And I usually say, "Ham radio is like CB on steroids." And 
and I and I don't just leave it there. I kind of right. chew on that for a second and like, wait, what do you mean CB on steroids? Because everyone knows what CB is, right? And it's when you if you knew the hobby or if you've been here for a while, you kind of know that CB has a batter app with a lot of ham. So you kind of want to differentiate the two to make sure they understand it what does. you're saying. But, but I, I I preface it that way so they so kind of understand. I can tie it into something they know, right? Um, I, I tie it into something they know, and I say, you know, these truck driver any truck driver can jump on their cb and talk to a guy 10 15 miles down the road yep i go i can take a radio that, that's about the same size and i can talk to someone across the county across the state or across the world yep and they'll usually whoa world i'm like yeah i've, I've talked to people in australia new zealand estonia russia hawaii mm-hmm. and i'll just name all these far-flung places and their eyes get kind of big and like wait you do what yep and usually they'll go well that's really freaking nerdy or maybe they'll kind of go oh that's kind of cool tell yep. me more Say, I mean, that was that way. Um, whenever I go out to our local park, we um, or I take a, a rucksack and I always have a radio on me just to either listen to the repeater because it's a DMR radio too, or just to listen to the worldwide talk groups or just kind of use it as a scanner, I guess. Sure. And um, so I've always got the radio on me, but the antenna sticks out obviously to get better reception on it. And I'll get people asking, Oh, is that a radio or is that a walkie talkie? Like, well. Kinda. Yes and no. (laughs) I say it's a ham radio, and like, oh, and so like some of them will actually know what it is, but for the other ones that don't, I'm like, so basically you go get licensed from the FCC, and then you can kind of talk all over the world depending on what radio you have and how much you spend on it and antenna, but basically it's a thing that lets you talk all over the world. It's a that's not a cell phone. Yeah. And then usually the, my answer to the, well, that's kind of nerdy, but my response to that, because I mean, we're, we live in the, a world where we're post shows like Doomsday Preppers and The Walking Dead and stuff like right. that. And I'll usually just, sometimes I'll, I'll hit him with a real quick, like, well, listen, man, when the freaking zombies come and the power grid goes down, my stuff still works. Right. <laughs> I mean, and the power grid or power going out, like that's not super duper like out of the question. I mean, you get hit with the storm and your phone's dead. I mean, you got repeaters out of auto patch too. If you need an emergency, you dial that up if your phone's not working. So exactly. that's a real life situation there too. Yep. Or if you have one and your repeater doesn't have auto patch, you just dial in any frequency because in a life and death situation, you can, use any frequency you want without as far as i know without repercussions yeah as long as it is a the way the fcc words it is um imminent threat to life limb or property right so i mean it it doesn't have to be that you're in imminent danger of dying maybe there's a flood coming you're safe on the second floor but you know you you gotta get your maybe you want to call someone to help get your car out of there or something like that right my interpretation of that is you would be safe in doing so because um, it says imminent threat to life, limb, or property. And that being said, like kind of going back to the bow thing, it'd be kind of more wise to be, if you want to get out there, not saying you should, but if you don't want to be just on the repeater doing like local um, like fire department dispatch or something would get out there, I would, while the bow fangs can transmit on NOAA frequencies, and if you're about to die or something, that might be something worth doing. But since it's a government, like federal government band, I would stay away from that. Sure. To just because of that, I don't want to mess yeah. with federal well, stuff. Well, the nice thing about owning a bow fang is there. You know, a lot of people say, well, they're not type accepted, and there is no equipment 
type acceptance for part 97. That's kind of a misconception, right? So right. It, some people will say, well, what if I just buy a radio for this and I can talk directly to the police if I want? Well, here's the thing. The government could look at that as premeditation. Yep. Even if you were in a genuine bad place when you tried it, but the fact that you own a radio that's programmed properly mm-hmm. to talk directly to the police they could look at that as premeditation and that yeah. doesn't always that may not sit well depending on you know how things played out right but owning a bow thing it's kind of a you know a you know a 40 dollars solution for a bunch of different things right so i mean typically they're going to look at someone that owns a bow thing okay he's just a regular ham enthusiast he's got a cheapo, yeah. el cheapo radio so um and that being said too most police stuff is encrypted now well Small town USA is encrypted, but funny enough, major city a lot of major cities are not encrypted. Like Chicago is just analog, straight everywhere, everyone can hear it. Surprising, which is, which is nuts. I mean, cause here we are in a town of forty thousand people, and it's in you know this crazy Motorola multi-site digital mode. Yep. And then most of the law enforcement agencies in turn run encryption on top of that. Um, and P25 being as expensive as it is for a scanner, it's what, $400 for like a bear cat that can... You can... It, that was the previous cost to entry. There's a company called Whistler oh, yeah. that st- that basically... I don't know the exact thing. I So you have GRE, Radio Shack, and Whistler. At one point, there are two or three models that wore all three of those badges on them. Right. And because um, Radio Shack and Whistler were, I think, at one point the same radio brand yep, too. Yep, and, and, and since, you can still buy. I remember a friend of mine that bought a GRE scanner 10, 12 years ago, which was the same as a Radio Shack, and now it's like whatever the Whistler one is that yeah. costs like two hundred and fifty bucks. So it, the prices come down a bit, but at the same time, it's the same. It's basically the exact same radio it was twelve yep. years ago. I mean, down to the design too, no less. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we kind of talked about the negative of, of the young people getting into the hobby. You know, sometimes they're kind of ignorant. You right. Know, you got to deal with them the repeaters and asking, you know, kind of silly questions and stuff. And that can be excused for the most part as long as they learn from it and not keep doing it after they've been told. Yeah. Or the, after they've been told what they're doing is not the greatest thing to be doing. So yeah. it's whatever. Right. But then you get to the... Uh, uh, I don't want to say older generation, but some of the other users that stereotypically are in the older generation that are the fuds of ham radio. Yeah. Um, and, and that's to me that that is is um, exemplified in the well, we never should have done away with the code requirement. Yeah. Um, or and then you have like people like me who is um, like that's a 18 year old no code extra. And since I'm only 18, How I was dare you. I know. Uh, how dare you not know code is an extra. Well, the and extra, the amateur extra was supposed to be the exemplary amateur radio operator. And, and here you are not fluent in a 112-year-old language. Well, well here's the thing, though. <laughs> like, people who are my age would never, like, would never have and will never have the option to be a coded extra. Like, right. So and that's the me, thing that's... It's, it's stupid to make fun. Like, the FCC, I think with some some uh, prodding from the ARRL. Yeah. The FCC dropped the code requirement. Right. So when you call someone a no-code extra, you just say, oh, you didn't do this thing because not only did you not have to, even if you chose to, mm-hmm. doesn't, there's no certificate that you get from the FCC now that says, hey, congratulations, you passed element one. Yep. You don't get that anymore. So it, the people just assume, like, oh, how long did you get your license? Oh, I got it four years ago. Uh, another no-code extra. 
You know what I mean? Like, it's blaming them for... For all they know, you can send and receive it 45 words a minute. Right, and I mean, I'm trying to learn CW, Morse, whatever one you want to call it. Yeah. Just to learn but, it. But see, isn't it cool that you can choose what modes of the hobby you want to dedicate time to? Mind-boggling. It's, it's not being thrust upon you that, it's, hey, before you can do voice and digital and DMR and build QRP kits and do amateur television, all this stuff, you need to learn this other archaic language that's only use is really amongst ham operators so that they can, one, preserve the art. It's like a dead language, right. practically. I mean, people still speak Latin, mm-hmm. really just in the Catholic Church, and you Morse code was once ubiquitous and used by a lot of people for a lot of different things, and now it's only maintained by hams. Right. So. And, I mean, I don't want to say it's justified or it's, gr- like, agreeable but i mean like back when they had coded extra like you could be coded extra or no code extra and you had the option i'm not saying it's great but at least it's somewhat justified to i don't want to say make fun but at least kind of use the term and like i don't want to say classify people but yeah group people i guess is a better term but um even still that shouldn't like tell i'm trying to think we're like say who you are like how well you can if you can try to finish like a kind of tell how good of a ham operator you are based right. on if you're a code or no code right right there are plenty of bad radio operators that no code right so or yeah i mean yeah for sure yeah so i mean it just you're gonna have that wherever um changing gears just a bit um do you want to talk about someone like the uh i guess big operating events that are going on this year yeah, I mean, we just had field day, and at least for our club, that was a pretty good success. Um, and overall, I know a lot of people had some more good field days. Um, bands were open a lot of the time. 80 sure. and 40 were really open. I think 160 opened up for a little bit, but it started to close off the later it got in the night. Um, yeah, I mean, it was definitely better than I remember it being in <clears throat> recent years. Um, like, I can remember using the exact same antennas a year ago, two years ago, and, you know, you couldn't do anything with it, hardly. <laughs> Solar cycle? What's that? Yeah, exactly. Um, but, yeah, field day, from what I've gathered, went pretty well for people. I mean, we had a way better turnout at ours um, than we had in previous years, so that's phenomenal. Right. And, I, th- I mean, that kind of falls into play i mean we had an event we were working that year and people just wanted to go home after that or they just didn't care enough to come out after the whole event that day in the morning right right. i don't know if anyone showed up later in the evening but i don't remember hearing any reports that they did i think it was just like two Uh, or three people there were at least two people that stayed and operated pretty much the entire night which is awesome because I can remember years where I was the only one that would stay there. Maybe Chris would, uh, you know, one or two other guys from the club right. know, might hang out for a bit and, you know, operate till 3, 4, 5 a.m. Um, <clears throat> but it's nice that other people were kind of picking up on that and decided to, uh, you know, make some noise. I mean, yeah, I was trying to plan to go out, but of course I get scheduled in for work and can't exactly get out of that and go to my boss and say, hey, can I get uh, a little bit off tonight? Why? I want to go talk on the radio. <laughs> yeah, that's probably kind of a hard sell. Just a little bit. Uh, for most people. Um, but uh, let's see. What else is big right now? Soda is big. Not so much out here in the flatlands. Yeah, we don't have... I mean, I think the closest summit that would... I mean, unless we, we're counting the uh, reservoir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's about the tallest place we've got around here. 
I think the closest soda activation points, like, gosh, a few hundred miles away, like down over in the Appalachian, probably. Yeah, I, I think, think there's so. one in like Miami or Canton area, maybe, but that might be worth looking into. Nonetheless, I'd kind of like to pick up a cheap little QRP radio and maybe do some stuff with that. That'd be fun. Yeah. But, um, so that's not really happening too much around here, but, you know, out west and, you know, mountainous oh, yeah. areas around the Rockies, the Appalachians, those areas are yeah. definitely. Especially like the Valley in California and yeah. all out through Arizona, I'm sure. I thought it was cool um, that Hashnasi actually explained, the, like, the point system. You actually get more points for being on a taller summit. Yep. So, you know, and this, you kind of have to be an active ham, not just active in ham radio, like, physically in decent shape to get up to the top of that yeah, and yeah you're, you're not gonna roll up to the top of pike's peak in a rascal scooter that's not right. gonna happen <laughs> um so uh walmart parking lots on the air and this is oh something boy. That you first told me about maybe you want to explain it a little bit so that was kind of brought up onto me like a few days before the event but basically it was a um on the air event, so just like a national parks on the air, summits on the air, blah blah blah, right. on the air event, and it was a activation from a Walmart parking lot, and you use satellites instead of HF to make the contact. So really out there for contests for on the air type contests. Yeah, there there aren't too many satellite contacts in general, and then the fact that they're using a Walmart parking lot as a setting is kind of this weird tongue in cheek. I mean, sort of like we've already done national parks, we've done state parks, we've done summits, they've did mines on the air. How does one uh, get a signal out of a mine? I think you just go and sit on top of the mine, actually. I don't think you have to go down in it. So I mean, a you could summit use, on a mine. What is it, ELF? Extremely low frequency. <laughs> and send the signal through the ground. Um, but ground anyhow, wave propagation. I don't think we had an allocation there um, when that first picked up. But I think I almost feel like the Walmart parking lot on the air thing is like a tongue-in-cheek. Like, well, we've had an on-the-air activation type event for almost every other landmark we could think of, so... Here is Walmart parking lots on the air. I mean, I think that's also a bit of an, I don't want to say an homage, but kind of getting the younger generation in because it's stupid enough to be something that the younger generation wants to do. And I know I was going to do it, but of course yeah. I worked again. Yeah. I feel like it's like a meme of ham radio activations almost. It's, Pretty it's much. It There's a lot of memes in the ham radio community. We'll have to post them on the website. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, along with our phonetic alphabet. Yes. Um, let's see, state parks on the air, that's kind of the continuation of national parks on the air, which was a huge deal in, uh, in 2017. Yep. Um, so they kind of continued that. There doesn't seem to be as much focus around it. I mean, national parks on the air was a big freaking deal. Yeah. Um, but I think it's cooler kind of trying to continue that. It just doesn't seem to have as much staying power. I mean, I'm all about events, too, and I'm glad we're getting more and more events, and especially like the ARRL hosting the VH, VH, VHF event, mm-hmm. so we can get even technician classes into it, because VHF is six meter, I think it's six meter plus. Yep, six meters um, on up. I mean, and that's how I started doing events when I had my technician back in December, I think. I think I had my general at the time, but yeah. not a great enough thing to do anything HF. But um, Right enough so i can at least say i did it or get my grandpa who just got his technician at the time into it and kind of get him familiar with it for sure um the other one too that is is current and maybe doesn't have as big of a following as um i'm actually gonna pull up the website for it real quick 
doesn't have as big of a following as say national parks on the air but it's cool that it is another year-long event like national parks on the air oh yeah and that is the uh ARRL international grid chase i'm actually i'm trying to make some make some headway in this but my uh, antenna has been less than cooperative recently so i mean we'll see where i can get with it um but Essentially, you get set up with Logbook of the World, which is a topic for a whole other day, so we won't cover all that now. But you get set up with that, and then you can, you know, you make contacts throughout the course of a month, and then they assign a ranking based right. on how many grids you contacted throughout that month. And then you can go to the website, and you know, on, you know, well, today's what July, this July Fourth, Independence 4th. Day, America. Um, but on the 1st of July, that ranking totally reset, starts over at zero again. Um, and then you can see who's making the most contacts throughout the course um, of that month. So that, I think that's a cool one. It definitely seems to be gaining more traction than some of the other events. Right. Maybe not quite as much as national parks, but... I mean, it's something that's definitely a bragging right to be like, oh, I contacted every single grid in this state, or even if there you want. are there are guys that that is their whole mission in ham radio. They're called grid chasers. Yep, um, and that's all they do. Um, or then there's other guys. You have uh, county hunters, guys trying to work every county in the U.S. Can you imagine? Jeez. There's 88 freaking counties just in Ohio alone where we're at, and. I, mean, I don't even want to think Do about what the average number of counties is per state. But. Saying you have even smaller ones like out west and in California, like L.A. County. Like, yeah. There's probably like at least 20 counties all yeah. around the Los Angeles area. I'm alone. sure there's a statistic somewhere for how many counties don't even have a ham radio operator. Yeah. I mean, we have 250 in our county, and how many of them do you talk to? <laughs> we only have 250? I feel like that'd be more. Uh, that's that's a pretty sizable amount. Oh, right. Yeah, I mean, it, it, there's like fifty five to 60,000 people in the county and 250 are hams. That's not a... That's a pretty... I think there's an over-representation, you know, compared of the to hobby, the national yeah. average. Compared right. to the national average. So, just a few percent or something, yeah. Yeah. Um, the other thing I wanted to talk about, because um, that kind of taxes out our topics for, for this time... Um, should check out our website if you discovered us through some other means. It's uh, thisoldhamshack.com, and there'll be some blog posts, and maybe you have some other comments on that. So yeah, some blog posts, or hopefully the what we're kind of hoping to shape it up into be is kind of maybe like fifty percent podcast, fifty percent like type of a blog of like tips and tricks, or how to make like tutorials, how to make antennas, more kind of detailed reviews of certain radios, like ins and outs of radios as opposed to well this one does this is because it's good on like the podcast or something and right just the, that kind of stuff and then um <clears throat> next our next podcast we're going to try and stick to like a bi-monthly schedule on these but hopefully you'll see some blog posts and stuff in the meantime to kind of keep your appetite up for it um the next one when we uh, are able to get it together <clears throat> we're going to talk about um basically disproving flat earth via ham radio that's going to be a great topic, and I'm sure between now and the next time we record, we're going to get enough of the people, like if we posted some of these ham radio groups, we're going to get enough of the people to comment saying, well, the earth is flat and you can't disprove it, and it's going to be a fun time. <laughs> if there are any ham radio operators that think the earth is flat, that is some major cognitive dissonance, and I think everyone will be able to agree with that once we get our next episode done. Yeah. So... Um, well, with that, um, 
appreciate everyone joining us on this uh, journey here. Definitely stay tuned. We're going to have plenty more uh, things on a lot of different topics. Hopefully, you know, something for everyone that's in the hobby at some point or another. Right. So, yeah, I guess unless you have anything else, do you have anything else to talk about? I think that's all I have. 73 guys, and um, we'll catch you on the next episode here in a couple of weeks.